God, we give you thanks that your spirit is with us, that you're able to meet us, to commune with us, to show us your love. Help us today to leave transformed. Help us today to learn to love like Jesus. In your name, amen. To get started, I'm going to show you, not yet, not yet, Tim, not yet, but here in a second, here in a second, I'm going to show you some photos. And I've really wrestled with how I want you to interact with these photos. I was even thinking of just inviting people to make nonverbal responses to the photos, which you might do anyways. Um, but I just wanted you, I'm gonna, we're going to show you some photos of some people that you may or may not know, most likely you'll know. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how we feel about these individuals um, that are, you know, kind of celebrities, right? All right, so we're going we're gonna to do this. So um, here, here's the first photo. You know, you can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> Let's do the next one. Here, and any, any big fans in the room? This is, uh, I told somebody I actually, uh, actually kind of okay with Elon Musk, and they were whew, not happy with me. And I'm not saying I still am. I'm just saying that controversial, controversial photo right here. Uh, next one. I, wasn't he the one that like built a yacht that couldn't fit through the bridge or something like that? This is, and I'm just giving him a hard time now. I don't know Jeff personally, um, which is going to be my point of the sermon, by the way. That's where we're going. I don't know Jeff personally, and I like saying it like that because it just feels weird, but that is a villain photo. Like, that is DC, not Marvel so much, but DC villain right there. Um, next one. I don't know much about that, but I know that, you know, pretty political little family there. Uh, next one. Yeah, I almost felt bad for the guy. He was like, metaverse for everyone. And people were like, nah, not yet, too soon. And uh, kind of flopped, and stock was bad. And um, you know, uh, I, know, you know I, I know of a pastor, hypothetically, who owned some Facebook stocks. So that was interesting. Um, next one. OK, actually, I actually like, I like the, you know, I don't know if he's going to do it, but he's actually pledged to give most of his wealth away um, before he dies. So so a lot of things in common. Um, if we were talking about systemic racism in America, I'd point out that they're all white guys. If we were talking about systemic patriarchy in America, I'd talk about they're all white guys. Uh, we're not talking about that today. Uh, what's interesting is I, you know, I just kind of think about how you feel. This, these, are, these are some of the billionaires in the world right now, current list. Um, there were others that I was less familiar with, which is interesting. But these are the ones that I recognize, so I put them up there. Um, this represents about $600 billion is what they're worth. So here's some, you know, that's a hard number to wrap our mind around. If you had $600 billion, you could buy 20 million cars at $30,000 a piece. Now, I think these numbers are a little outdated. Most cars are a little bit more. If you have $600 billion, you're not buying a $30,000 car, is what I'm saying. Or you could buy 3 million houses at $200,000 each. If you wanted to have $600 billion, it would take 100 and you saved $100,000 a year, which would be very impressive. Um, it would still take you 6 million years to save that much money. Just to kind of, you know, that's how much $600 billion is. If you could save $10,000 a day, it would still only take you, you 164,000 years to save 
$600 billion. So we're going to talk about God's relationship and what our relationship should be to excessive wealth. And, and I use this as an example because what does it mean to have excessive wealth? I'll give you a more personal example. I like to play Nintendo Switch. And I was playing it so much that my wrist hurt a little bit. So I went on Amazon and I bought this little thing that you put the Switch in that helps my wrist not hurt. It costs about $20, $30. Now, let me ask you, in a world where people are literally starving to death, would you say that I have excessive wealth? It did not hurt my bank account at all. So we're using this as an example because it's extreme, but you know, depending on how you think about it, many of us and many of us in this room probably have excessive wealth. So just keep that in mind as we wrestle through this. But what is God's relationship to wealth? What is the church's relationship to wealth? What is God's view on wealth? Here's, here's what I know. Uh, before we, you know, as we kind of wrestle with this, Jesus came into the world born into the world, which means there was a mom involved. Mothers are, that's a tough job. Jesus' mother was, of course, yeah, I love Mary. Mary finds out she's pregnant with a very special child. It's going to be the savior of the world. Jesus is going to come and, and make the world a better place. And she begins to like experience this sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm the one who's going to give birth to the Messiah. And, and then she starts to share this song, and she's loosely quoting from the Old Testament, a song that was in the Old Testament, and she updates it. It's known as the Magnificat, right? Beautiful renditions out there if you, if you like classical music, but you probably haven't paid attention to all of the words. She's singing this song about the world that her son is going to bring, the changes that her son's going to bring. And this is what, this, this is what she says. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. As she's pregnant with little baby Jesus, she sings these words. If the wrong people had heard her say these words, she would have faced imprisonment, potentially capital punishment. These were an outcry against the Roman Empire and the oppression that people were experiencing. I mean, you got this is poetry, so you can get lost in a little bit. Do you, do you hear what she's saying? She's saying that the Messiah is going to Take the people who are way up here and drag them down, and the people that are way down here, lift them up. That's what she says. Very dangerous. Very dangerous cry. Jesus, of course, grows up, and he begins his ministry, and there's this, this good, moral, wealthy individual comes and talks to Jesus. Good, good guy. Known as the rich young ruler. He had all that we want in life. He was young, wealthy, and he had power. He was a ruler, rich young ruler. He had it all. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, you know, how do, I, how do I be a part of what you're doing? How do I be a part of the kingdom of God? How do I, you know, how does this work? And, and Jesus is like, well, you got to, you know, follow all the, all the rules, right? That's where it starts. He says, well, I've done all. I've, I've not cheated. I've not lied. I've not committed adultery. He was a moral, good person, okay? So first off, just in case anyone's wondering, not all, you know, overcoming some biases, not all wealthy people are immoral, okay? 
He was a good guy. And Jesus says, ah. He looked at him. He looked at him and loved him. Loved like Jesus. He looked at him and loved him. Mark 10, verse 21. I think I have a slide for this. One thing you lack. He said, you've done everything right. You've not cheated anyone. You've not lied. You've not cheated on your wife. You've not killed anyone, blah, blah, blah. One thing you lack. He said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. You know how that story ends? Walks away sad. Walks away sad. This is the vision that Jesus has given us. Even before Jesus was born, he's like, we're going to correct things. Those who are up here are going to be brought down a little bit. Those down here are going to be brought up a little bit. That's the vision. And, and then Jesus lives into it. The problem is, is that we have to wrestle with the fact of uh, how does that change actually happen? Can we put up the billionaire photo list again? If you were friends with one of these individuals, how would transformation happen in their lives? I'm guessing none of you are. I'm also guessing no one here is a billionaire. If you are, you have not been tithing. We would have noticed. <laughs> that is something we would have noticed. We would have noticed it. But let's say you were friends. Let's say you had dinner with one of these gentlemen. What would you say? How would that experience be? I find that there's two relationships to the wealthy. I grew up, just so you know my cars, I grew up, you know, you know, one Christmas, my parents couldn't afford toys because they were in between jobs, and we got toys for tots, okay? And then the rest of my life, we were middle class, lower middle class. So I've been uncomfortable around wealth in the past. So there's really kind of two responses that I've had to wealth. Is one, I can be fascinated by it. If I went to their house, I would definitely want a tour. I would find myself kind of like, well, this is so, show me the 20 bedrooms. You know, like I would, I love real estate. I would want to, you know, I would find it really interesting and really fun. The other response I have to wealth is like, you're part of the problem. You know, and like kind of my progressive roots of like, there's a problem here and you, you know. And so I would be somewhere between like a little jealous, fascinated, and frustrated, angry, depending on the day. That'd be my response. What would it look like for Jesus to sit down and have lunch with one of these gentlemen? That's where we're headed today. I want to look at a story. It's a story that you can read in Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. Luke chapter 19, you can, uh, not that yet, Tim. It's Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. It's a story of Zacchaeus. Now, anyone raised in the church know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee... All right, we're not going to sing it. But um, here is Zacchaeus. Let me tell you a story. Here's, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I share this story, and I couple it with the story we looked at last week because uh, Jesus gained a reputation of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors, of prostitutes and tax collectors, and they're, they're often coupled together. And so we looked at a woman who was caught sleeping with someone that she wasn't supposed to be sleeping with, and we looked at that story last week, and so now we're looking at the tax collector. Because this, and what's interesting is they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. In a world where women were just slightly above property, Jesus showed them respect and love. And the tax collectors, they had an immense amount of wealth. And unlike the rich young ruler, it wasn't always taken fairly. It wasn't always gained fairly. They were cheating people. So this wasn't even, this was more than just a wealthy individual. This was somebody who had cheated people most likely. They were sellouts. They worked for the Roman government, which the Jewish people hated. And so Zacchaeus is hated by his people because of his wealth and how he got his wealth. But he hears that Jesus is coming to town. You can read the story for yourself. Here's how it goes. He hears that Jesus is coming to town, and it so turns out that Zacchaeus was 
short. And uh, he couldn't see past all the crowds. And, you know, I almost think that this is like a picture. It helps us uh, remember that the people who are celebrities, the people with great wealth, the people with great power, they're not perfect either. They have insecurities. They're human. They've got problems and challenges. And so Zacchaeus, he's, he's got what is almost a disability in the sense that he can't see what other people are seeing. So he climbs a tree, which I'm a big fan of climbing trees. I have, uh, haven't done it recently, but, you know, used to all the time. And he gets up there, and he's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is walking by, and Jesus is very popular at this point. Everyone heard Jesus was coming to town, so there's this parade. People are watching, and Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. He's got a reputation. He's got a reputation. And Jesus, instead of ignoring, judging, looking down on, he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm, uh, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. You can hear the melody, can't you? He says, I'm going to your house. We're going to have dinner. Can you imagine how people felt about that? Jesus eating at Zacchaeus' house? Of course he is. Zacchaeus would have the best food. And he's not just eating there. This was a time before hotels. He was staying there. He was traveling through, and he needed a place to stay. And lots of people would have loved to have Jesus stay in their home, but he's going to the nicest home because Jesus is a sellout. That's what people would have said about him. We know that because the verse that was put up earlier, Tim, if you could pop it up, all the people saw this. He's heading over to the house of Zacchaeus, wealthy Zacchaeus, and they began to mutter, he has gone to the guest of a sinner. Imagine if I got invited to lunch with Elon Musk. How would you feel about that? You would want to know what's going on there. What are you going to say to him? How would you get invited? Jesus gets invited. He invites himself, actually, to be the guest of this tax collector. And you know what? We don't know what happens. It's a great mystery. We don't know what Jesus says. We don't know what Jesus does. We, don't, we can guess based on how Jesus talks about this in other places, but it just skips to the reaction. Jesus most likely sits down and has a meal with Zacchaeus, sets up his bedding area. They, they kind of, you know, they go into the house, they get comfortable, they're going to stay there for a day or two, most likely. And all we know is what happens next. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Do you remember Mary's song? The, the ones who are up here are going to be brought down. The ones that are down here are going to be brought up. It's happening with Zacchaeus. That prophecy is fulfilled, so to speak. Zacchaeus, of his own volition, says, hey, I'm going to give half of my income away, half of my wealth away, and everyone I've cheated, because I actually cheated a bunch of people to get rich, not all of my wealth was from cheating, but some of it was. I'm going to make it right. Can we put that song back up? When I, uh, uh, Mary's song, um, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. When, when I read that out of context, you know what I think of? I think it's happening. This just shows my love of apocalyptic fi fiction, by the way. I just, 
I, the only way I can imagine that happening in my very narrow-minded, small brain of Joe is that it would be by force. I'm thinking French Revolution. You know, how else would it happen? How else would the rich be brought down and the humble be lifted up? By force. You're going to have to force them. I'm going to have to get angry and mad and protest. And if I complain about it enough on social media, the rich will finally be generous. That's just, that's my little human reaction. Occupy Wall Street, why not? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. I'm just saying that the one example we have of this actually happening to the Gospels happened because Jesus invited someone to, himself to someone's house. He invited somebody over. He invited himself over. And he spent time with somebody So we've been playing this game called What If? I want, I want to challenge you to think about this story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. What if Jesus hadn't loved Zacchaeus and respected him? What if Jesus had condemned him from a distance, judged him? Was Zacchaeus worthy of judgment? Yeah, we already, I mean, he admitted to cheating a bunch of people. Like, he wasn't even a good, wealthy person. What if Jesus had condemned him, judged him, made jokes about him, was generally disgusted by him? What would have been different? I don't think Zacchaeus would have given half of his wealth away. I don't think he would have made things right. This, this, this principle applies whether we're talking about LGBTQ, we're talking about people who make more than us, whether we're talking about people who make a lot less than us, whether we're talking about the gentleman who's standing on the corner asking you for money, here's what I know to be absolutely true. If you judge someone, all you're doing is encouraging them to remain the same every time. When you get to know someone, transformation in your life and in theirs becomes possible every time. Now, I, you know this about me if you've been around a little while. I, I also believe more than just personal transformation. I, I'm a big fan of societal transformation, and I'm not trying to belittle that in this conversation. I'm just challenging us to remember this. Can we put the picture of those guys back up? Here's something that's absolutely true that makes me personally a little uncomfortable. Every single one of those gentlemen was created in the image of God and is loved by God. Same for you. Every single one of you. Created in the image of God, loved by God. And we could say, like, uh, you know, hate the sin, you know, love the sinner. But I, I thought we weren't saying that anymore because it didn't work. So let's just say, let's just love everyone. I have a friend, um, you know, and, and, and here's the, the great irony to uh, this whole conversation. Most nonprofits, including churches, are sustained because of the generosity of people who have means. That's a fact. Right? You can feel how you want about it, but it's just a fact. And what happens because of that is a lot of people with means um, become benefactors for nonprofits and churches, and their relationships become transactional. And so my mentor uh, from Athens, he, uh, I don't know if he wants me sharing this, by the way. So Paul, if you're listening to the podcast, we love you, and uh, he does listen to the podcast, so this is for him. We do love you, and you were created in the image of God. Um, 
And, uh, but anyways, he, 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 he really challenged me. He said, you know, one of the populations in our society that doesn't get intentionally discipled, and by si- discipled I mean invested in, helped to grow in your faith, to, to take steps of faith and to challenge the way you think about life, is people with wealth, because usually churches and nonprofits' relationship to people with wealth is one of need. We, we need you to give something. So, so here's the challenge. I'm assuming, good morning, Alan. This is our friend, Alan. He, he uh, attends occasionally. And uh, um, uh, one of the, uh, the things that I've, I've really challenged myself to consider is moving beyond any sort of transactional relationship with anyone. Whether we're helping somebody who's in need or asking for people to give, it is about all of us taking steps in our faith, learning to be generous with what we have, investing in each other's lives and and helping each of us. So I'm guessing, as I said before, none of you are billionaires, probably, I don't know if there's any millionaires in the room, that's a little more attainable. Um, But here's what I know. Just knowing a little bit about our community, many of us have excessive wealth. You know, you can afford Nintendo Switches if you wanted one. They're great, by the way. I'm a fan. And you probably have friends with excessive wealth. You have more than you need. Do you hear what I'm saying? You have more than you need. You have friends with more than you need. We are meant to be people who model what it means to be generous with what we have. So of that whole list, Bill Gates is one that's actually taken significant steps. He's made a commitment, whether he falls through with it or not, to give all of his wealth away. He and his uh, uh, Melinda uh, Gates have f- created a foundation. They do a lot of work around. And, and you, once again, you, any celebrity has people who love them and hate them. So you can feel however you want. It doesn't matter. But I was looking up what, what set him apart, what made him different than some others who hoard wealth. And he, he said, well, both, you know, in this article he wrote, he said he and Melinda both um, were taught by their parents to support their community, to give back. And I just was struck, like, that's how it's done, right? Somebody you're in a relationship with that you care about, in this case, their parents, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, models for you what it means to be generous, what it means to give back to your community, what it means to be generous with what you have, your time, and your resources. And that's what made the difference. And so when I talk about what it means to love like Jesus, I, that's what I mean. Whoever we come in contact with, whoever we interact with, that we're helping them become because of the way we care about them, the way we love them, the way we interact with them, become the best version of themselves. And by doing so, we become the best version of ourselves as well. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks. We ask that you would come and speak to us. That as we share together in bread and juice, that you would remind us of what it means to be a community of diverse people. That there are followers of your son from every nation on this earth. And there are those with great means and those with less and that you love each of us and that you've called each of us to be generous with what we have, to not compare ourselves, to not look down on each other or to look up on each other or be fascinated, but just to love one another and recognize that we are all created in your image. 
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you'd like to, we will be sharing in communion. I'll let you know that uh, all of our elements are gluten-free um, for those who need it. Um, this is open to anyone, so you can, be, uh, you can be visiting for the first time. You're welcome if you, if you feel so led to. Um, it's really not our table to invite you to. It, we believe it's Jesus' table, and I promise you Jesus would love you to sit at his table. I hope you know that. And so if you want to, you can come up. Um, what we'll do as the music is playing is you'll uh, come up this side of the aisle, and you'll take the elements. And then over here, it, we use reusable little glasses. So you can plop that right in here and then go down that aisle to sit. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you, and we ask that your spirit fall upon us, that you'd make us be the very body and blood of Christ in this world, the body of Christ broken, that you'd make this be this juice and this gift of bread, the body and blood of Christ. Remind us of the great sacrifice that your son made and the sacrifice it takes to love one another. In your name.